Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 99 of X Lapsed. That's right, we're just on the precipice of the triple digits here. How about that? Today, we're talking about an issue of New Mutants, which every time I look at this cover, I feel like we're reading a, like a Marvel Now era book because it's got this red bar at the bottom of the cover where all those Marvel Now books had that awful red bar at the bottom. Thankfully, now that it's red, it's just going to go into a long box, and I don't have to look at it anymore because it's. It reminds me of times that I wasn't uh, wasn't too terribly keen on. But let's get into it here. This is an issue that we've been building to for a little while. This is the big docs payoff, which, for whatever reason, I uh, was really looking forward to. Let's see if uh, if my hopes were dashed or if uh, my hopes were validated, shall we? Uh, this is New Mutants, Volume Four, Number Twelve. It's had a November 2020 cover date. Stories called Monster Machine, written by Ed Brisson, with art by Marco Faila, or Faila, one of those. Colors, Carlos Lopez, letters, VCs, Travis Lanham, designs Tom Muller, head of X's Hickman. Edits, Bisa White Sapolsky, cover price $3.99, went on sale September 2nd of 2020. And in saying that, it makes me realize that we, we are finally... Up to a point in the dawn of X book releases here where I'd already started this program. You know, the first episode of X Lapsed hit on September 1st. This issue came out September 2nd. So we're already in business at this point. I, mean, I can't believe it took us about 100 episodes just to get to the point where we would have been current, but here we be. Anyway, let's open this thing up. We open in Nova Roma which is a place I was hoping we wouldn't be heading back to anytime soon. We got a couple of fellas running like hell, and we get a look behind them to see exactly what they're running from. And it's those beasts that Armor and Boom Boom fought a few issues back, along with their keeper, that, that woman with the blonde hair, who we also met a few issues back. She was unhappy that uh, Boom Boom, Armor, and Magma managed to kill one of her beasts. And uh, here we see that she's exacting revenge. Let's do a roll call. Magic, Trinary, or Trinary, Mirage, and Glob. Then our double page spread of creds. Back to comics, and we are back to Krakoa, the Green Lagoon to be specific, because, as you know, this is a Dawn of X book, and we can't have a Dawn of X book without people drinking. Man, isn't high school fun? I can't wait for spring break. Anyway, Magic is here, and she's met by Trinary, Trinary who I don't think we've seen since way back in Excalibur number one. And uh, from the feedback I'd received during that episode, very few of us knew who she was even back then. Well, here she is again. Turns out, Magic had tasked her with tracking down our favorite internet news rag, Docs. 
And we get a little bit of gobbledygook about how Docs uses IP address hiding technology, but thankfully, Trinary Trinary is a technopath. So she was able to find them with the quickness. She hands over a thumb drive with all the deets. From here, we don't go to an info page. We go to a Docs page. And what we see is a rundown of Krakoa Gate comings and goings as reported by our friends at Docs. Pretty dry stuff, pretty boring stuff, but, you know, even the boring stuff needs covering. See also our six-episode series on Fallen Angels. Magic, Danny Moonstar, and Glob Herman emerge from a gateway in Columbus, Ohio, right in front of the building that Docs operates out of. Now, Magic, she's as mad as a hornet, and has to be reminded of that pesky kill-no-human law. To which, Magic suggests that she could just hurt these people to the point where death would be the lesser punishment. And I'm not sure that's exactly what the Quiet Council had in mind, but technically I guess she's free to do that. Now inside the building, a bunch of douchebags notice the mutants heading their way. The lead douchebag instructs everyone to get out their phones and start recording, which, yeah, I guess I could see a bunch of douchebags doing. What I'm trying to say is here, uh, these folks are douchebags, you see. Now, Magic kicks in the door to their office and doesn't even mind that they're filming her. In fact, she kind of prefers it that way. Now, she holds her sword up to the lead douchebag's throat while Danny commandeers a laptop from one of the reporters. Suddenly, pictures of innocent mutants who had died as a result of Dox's actions show up on their screens. This is to show that there's a difference between, you know, mild-mannered reporting and doxing, you know. Now, what Dox does is, as we know... They name names, post addresses, show images, they out people, right? Which is a giant step past simple reporting of news. I do wonder how long these innocent mutants were dead, though. It seems a little weird that these deaths seem to matter when Quentin Quire dies every four and a half pages and all we really do about it is laugh. Eh, maybe we'll talk about that later. The lead douchebag tries to flip the script a little bit here and talks about how mutants, via their new status quo and the miracle drugs, they're now using human lives as bargaining chips, and Docs is just returning the favor. Which is a slippery slope argument, and uh, one that'll take us out of the confines of the fantastical Marvel universe. Maybe we'll talk about that later, too. Now, the douche presses that this is a First Amendment issue, and that mutants are not above criticism. Also, Docs doesn't incite violence. It, you know, maybe gives a facilitatory nudge, but it never outright says, go kill mutants. Well, since we're, you know, dealing with a lot of technicalities today, I suppose he's kind of right. Uh, it's not like they're that support group hanging out with Wolverine over at the, over at the Red Whatever Tavern in, in Canada. Danny then reports that she'd, quote, updated Docs' system. And I mean, I, I'm no technopath. Hell, I can hardly navigate my own podcast and blog feed without feeling like I'm breaking something. But I'm not sure what's about to happen can, you know, actually happen. You see, via this thumb drive, uh, I'm assuming it's the one that Trinary Trinary handed over, anytime Docs publishes anything, the news item will be accompanied by the full name and address of the reporter. Okay, uh, I, I mean, is that something that can be policed via a thumb drive? 
Can't docs just change their usernames or, or like bug out to a different location or go remote? Uh, this feels a little too neat and tidy. And maybe I'm thinking about it too hot here. Like I said, I'm not a technopath. I don't know anything. Now the lead douche in charge is all, okay, okay, you've won today, but it's not over yet. And then he promises to crucify the mutants, which prompts gentle Glob Herman to walk over and punch the dude in the face. Glob proceeds to pummel the hell out of the guy while threatening to actually kill him, like end his life. Now, if there's a single mutant death as a result of Doc's from this point on, Glob promises to return to kill the guy. He doesn't care if that means that he'll spend the rest of his days in prison, he'll still kill this guy. Now, Magic gets him to settle his tea kettle, and they leave. Not an info page, but a Doc's page follows, and, uh-oh, Doc's is down for maintenance. So, mission accomplished. Back to Nova Roma. The place is absolutely decimated. Everybody's dead. Well, almost everybody. Amara's father has been left alive to tell the tale, basically. He's been spared by the Monster Keeper lady who wants the deets on who killed her monster babies a few issues back. And he refuses to say. And so, she cuts him open and lets this wriggly, caterpillar Pokemon-looking thing into his belly. And this thing is a parasite, which will not kill him. It'll actually keep him alive, but will keep him in horrible pain. So maybe he'll be talking sooner than later. From here, we jump back to the sextant. Magic and Glob chat about their visit to Ohio. We learn quite a bit about Glob here, which may or may not be all new information. I am not a Glob scholar. Uh, we find out that he was raised to hate mutants by his ignorant father who, when Glob himself turned out to be a mutant, well, Glob became a target of Daddy's ire. Glob's mom would drop him off at Xavier's, where Glob would live surrounded by all those mutants that he was raised to hate. And so he grew more and more conflicted, more and more angry, before realizing he just had to let everything go and make peace. He managed to be more peaceful, more gentle. You know, he's got his chicken coop. He's a, he's a peaceful dude. But seeing those docks bags was too much for him, and it triggered those angry feelings all over again. Magic tells him it's okay to be angry, and he shouldn't be so hard on himself. After all, he likely saved a whole lot of lives today. And that is that. Next episode, the hundredth episode. I wish it were an issue I were looking forward to, but we play the hand we're dealt, and the hand we're dealt is Wolverine number five. Fingers crossed, fingers crossed. But first, let's talk about this issue. New Mutants number 12 here. The one I've been looking forward to. The big Docs versus New Mutants deal. It wasn't everything I was hoping it would be. Um, in hindsight, I mean, I'm not sure why. I was really getting into the idea of a Docs versus X-Men storyline. Um, the X-Men, as it stands currently, are... They're far too powerful. I mean, there really are no threats. Granted, I haven't taken a single peek at X of Tens yet, so that may be all about the change. But as far as the Dawn of X books are concerned to this point, there's really nothing that can stop the X-Men. You know, the death can't stop them. There's no threats besides nameless Russian soldiers. I mean, there's just nothing really posing a threat. So having something like Docs this invisible organization just needling the mutants via passive-aggressive concern trolling, it felt like it could have led to some interesting stories. I feel like Docs could have been a very fun foil, and I mean, 
jury's still out. They can always come back. But they were not a fun foil here, and this was not an interesting story. Now, let's address that slippery slope I talked about during the synopsis here. And it's something that we've talked about a little bit before. We've touched on it, at least. Even going back as far as Professor X's psychic address during the latter chapters of Hoxpox. And to start, I mean, it's easy to look at these stories as, well, just that. Stories, right? The X-Men, they're heroes, right? Constantly saving a world that fears and hates them. I mean, we know that. That's X-Men 101, right? As readers, we view them as misunderstood and almost like Sisyphean altruists, right? Because we're supposed to. We see the entire picture. We're in their heads. You know, we know what... We know that they're well-meaning. We know what their goals are. We know about the dream of uh, human mutant coexistence. We know all that stuff. Let's remove that, though. Let's try and put ourselves into the shoes of a 616 citizen, right? If we were living in a world where folks like Magneto and Apocalypse were making decisions that could affect everyone and everything, would we be 100% against an organization like Docs keeping an eye on them? And I'm not promoting doxing or saying doxing is a good thing to do, but let's put ourselves into this fantastical universe here. Magneto and Apocalypse, they've they've held this planet hostage time before, you know? It seems... I don't know. It seems like the X-Men are expecting everyone to forget some of these things. Hell, let's take Magneto and Apocalypse out of it, okay? If there were super-powered, like, white-bred heroes, people who have never done anything villainous... But super-powered people dictating foreign policy, would you sleep easy every night? I mean, right now we've got complete clowns dictating foreign policy in the real world here. Could you imagine if they had superpowers? You know, it's, it's hard to hold fears against the humans sometimes if we put ourselves in their shoes. And it's not an easy thing to do. They live in a scary place during a very scary time. People do some stuff when they're scared. Now, I get that the mutants are fed up with being marginalized and and targeted and hated. But it's almost as though they've forgotten how to empathize. And again, not saying that doxing is ever right. Um, Only saying that the dox organization is a reaction to the new status quo. The X-Men used to get a lot of criticism back in the day. Um, And this is like a meta-level thing. In the books and out of the books people would say that the X-Men just waited for bad things to happen to them. They were reactive, which is why when Cable came in and made X-Force the proactive team for like five minutes, it was a novelty, right? The X-Men were a reactive team. They're the ones that you'd see sitting down to breakfast and then a sentinel would crash through the wall. They were always reacting to things. Here Now we have Docs who are they're kind of in that old X-Men role of being reactive. Though I'm sure any parallels between the two are either unintentional or just something I imagined. But just to say, this is a weird one to knowing what we know and knowing what the humans in this world are supposed to know. It's hard to reconcile in my head, right? Let's talk about the other sticking point for this issue. Mutant deaths as a result of docs. We're 99 episodes into this project, and for the past, what, 90, 91, 92 of them, we've been trained to think 
Mutant death ain't no thing, right? Mutant death has very much become a punchline, an inconvenience at worst. We've been shown and told as much, sometimes repeatedly. I I mean, I don't need to mention the excessive and repetitive body count over an X-Force, right? I mean, to that, it's, it's a cliche in that book at this point. So then why should we feel any sort of loss here? I get that these weren't combat mutants. But if Xavier has backups of every living mutant, then there's really not much to get tangled up in here, right? Perhaps it'd be better to show Doc some humans who were killed as a result of their actions. I mean, Beak's folks. Beak's parents. Humans who died. Even the cartel guys. They're not good guys, but they're humans who died as a result of what Doc's did. I mean, they could have made up anybody. They made up three mutants here. Why not make up three humans? It really doesn't matter. Now, I am being sort of kind of purposely obtuse here because I know the point they're trying to make, and I'm purposely missing it. But I feel like this is a case of eating the cake and having it too. You can't spend a hundred issues and thousands of pages telling us how little mutant deaths matter and then expect us to pivot on a dime in a sort of kind of throwaway story and start caring again. Definitely, you know, eating the cake, having it too. Um, I don't know, but then again, I mean, we know everything because we are the readers. We ha- we know the ins and outs of this universe in-, in as far as what they've shown us. So maybe these docs people, maybe they don't know a whole lot about the resurrection protocols. Maybe they don't know much, you know? I mean, if I'm going to if I'm going to point out the ignorance of 616 citizens in one, I got to take it in the other as well. I can't I can't pick and choose my my talking points here, but as a reader, it's it's kind of hard to reconcile it for me personally. Um, the Nova Roma stuff, still don't care. Still don't care about Nova Roma. I don't want to go back to Nova Roma, but we will. I guess we will. Um, these uh, beasts. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned the nameless, faceless Russian soldiers a little bit ago, and these, you know, amorphous quadpedal beasts and some woman, you know, all all the main, all the good bad guys are part of the X Men now, or they're living on Krakoa now. So you gotta you gotta start somewhere, and I guess this is what we're gonna do. So we have these monsters of some sort. We need bad guys. Okay, fair enough. I, I still just don't care about them. Uh, the art here, not my favorite. Certainly not my favorite art here. It was, you know, it's serviceable, but not my favorite kind of art. But uh, overall, a bit of a letdown for me. But uh, then again, I had this one on the pedestal. You know, I was looking forward to seeing this confrontation. I was expecting it to be the start of something and not the end of something. The jury's still out, though, like I said here. Maybe Docs will come back bigger and badder than ever, and maybe a little less douchey than ever. Maybe they won't. Maybe this was what we were building to, just getting it out of the way for uh, Exitens to kick off uh, next month, you know. We'll see. We'll see. But uh, not my favorite issue, but uh, maybe your mileage will vary. That's my discussion on New Mutants number 12. Now let's hop into the mailbag here. It's going to be a brief mailbag here, and since we are in the middle of January at this point... I figure let's burn through these Christmas uh, missives here. I got a we got a, a Damien double take here talking about the final two episodes of Merry X Lapsed, just to kind of get him off the plate. Here we are, 
we are getting into the new year, so... Damien mentions about X-Men Volume 2, number 109. This was Chris Claremont's last issue of his second go-around. Now, Damien says, Back to the issues I've never read before. I don't feel I missed out on much by not having read it. Claremont was really working his way down a list of things he had to resolve. Even the art is below par. I usually like Tom Derenick, but this looked very rushed. And it's true. It's true. This felt like an afterthought. Uh, It felt... Because Tom Derenick, he's... He's a great artist Um, I want to say I probably associate him more with DC stuff Though I might be conflating him with someone else But I really, I don't ever consider his work disappointing or underwhelming In this issue it kind of was In this issue it was It looked like he didn't have enough time to work on it It was very, very bizarre And definitely, as we talked about during that episode Claremont definitely had a list (laughs) of things that he was he had his dangling plot threads, and I think I mentioned that it felt like he he called Louise Simonson, asked her to read everything he wrote, and then write down every single new dangling plot thread so he can wrap it up in a single issue. Because it's kind of what he did, and it wasn't very good. Next, Damien's going to talk about Generation X number four, which was uh, the Christmas Day episode here. He says, I've always loved this comic, but on rereading it, it's really depressing for a Christmas story. I know Christmas can be a tough time, but this issue is very sad. The art by Bachalo and Buckingham was absolutely stunning. Generation X was the best X book whenever the original creative team was on it. Sadly, it's a relatively short space of time. And he's 100% right here. When Lobdell and Bachalo and uh, Buckingham were were just kicking it on, on Generation X, it was such a good book. Such a good book. And this one, this issue... The most Christmassy thing about it is the uh, is the trappings. You know, it happened during well somewhere around Christmas. We don't know when it was, but Jubilee was wearing a Santa hat, so it's got to be unless she was doing it to be ironic. But I don't think being ironic was really in style back in the you know, early mid '90s. But she was wearing a Santa hat. Monet was eating a candy cane, so we can assume it was Christmas time. Every single page had was gift wrapped and had uh, little elves on the. Uh, on the uh, in the gutters, you know, making little comments, holding little signs, telling you the direction to read the book. The cover said it was a holiday spectacular, and uh, I'm trying to remember who it was. It might have been uh, might have been Jesse DeJong or uh, or Andrew Franklin who said that this issue is the uh, is like the diehard of uh, of X Men Christmas stories because it took place on Christmas but isn't really Christmassy, but you can remember it as a Christmassy thing, you know, and I. I I know there's a debate on whether or not Die Hard's a Christmas movie. I've never seen it. I'm sure that's a surprise to nobody. But I'm I'm cool either way. <laughs> you want to label anything Christmassy? I'm I'm on board for it. I will uh, appreciate it for what it is. But uh, definitely, this was a this was a depressing story, a really depressing story. And uh, but definitely straight out of my wheelhouse and took me back to a time where I was very very excited for uh, for the X books and. We were right on the on the precipice of the Age of Apocalypse at this point. Uh, we had the little crystalline ending with the Emcron crystal uh, doing its doing its hoodoo, and it just takes me back to being you know 13, 14 years old and trudging up to the comic store three or four times a week because I never knew what day the comics came out, even though I'm sure the guy told us every single time we were there. But we always look for excuses to go up there anyway. But yeah, good times, very good times. Um, and I was happy to cover it for the uh, for the Christmas special. But thank you so, so much, Damien, for uh, listening to the Merry X-Lapsed episodes and for sharing your thoughts as well. 
think that's where we're going to leave it for today. Uh, if anybody would like to reach out and get a hold of me, you could do so a couple different ways. I'm Ace Comics on Twitter or WeirdComicsHistory at gmail.com. And, uh, I mean, this is the 99th episode. If anyone would like to send me a note to make me feel less foolish about spending hundreds of hours working on this project over the past several months uh, for the 100th episode, please feel free to do so. That is Ace Comics on Twitter and WeirdComicsHistory at gmail.com. You can find blog posts and show notes over at chrisisoninfiniteearths.com and xlapsed.chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. You can chat with us about whatever you want over on 90s X-Men on Facebook, and you can listen to the complete Chris and Reggie audio archives at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. That's where we'll leave it for today, our last double-digit episode of X-Lapsed. Again, if you'd like to make me feel really good about the 100th one, send me a note. Send me a note. Ace Comics on Twitter. WeirdComicsHistory at gmail.com. This isn't considered begging, is it? Uh, uh, Anyway, (laughs) I want to thank you all so, so much for sharing your time with me this fine day. And as always, I will talk to you all again real soon. See ya.